0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is, you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is, tell everyone about Book Club.
1: So hello and welcome to IRC Book Club, the show where... Up until recently, every week, we picked apart a book, but we're back on a weekly schedule. We're excited. We did discuss with Jamie Gallagher last month, Zig Ziglar's secrets of closing the sale. We didn't learn much. Uh, And this month... I hated it. I thought it was terrible. You weren't found, were you? No, no, I thought it was awful. But this month, sorry to steal your thunder,
0: Johnny, I put on LinkedIn that we're reading this book by Oran Clash. Oran. pitch anything. And I mean, like loads of people waded in saying, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. And I tell you what's very interesting is, is if somebody tells you something's brilliant before you try it, you automatically have a a much more positive experience in the first few pages. You know, I sort of liked it because everybody said I was going to like it, if you know to me.
1: That's interesting because you're normally very defensive if people tell you something's brilliant and you don't like being told what to do.
0: I've been told what to do, but we'll take advice on what's good. And actually some very, very good people have said this is very
1: good. I have a theory why everybody loves it so much. Go on then. Oh, we're getting a bit ahead of the book. I think everybody loves it so much because he talks about the interplay of power in between the salesperson and the recipient of that power. And he talks.
0: Let's get into the yeah. book. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's the main core cool part of it.
1: And it makes a lot of salespeople who've spent large periods of their career being deferential be a bit less deferential and realize they don't need to be quite so doffing and fawning. So let's get into it. So, Oren Claff, now I've got all my notes in front of me here. He says, I, I, and I, I'm just going to pick it in, in different sections by the bits that I've highlighted in the book. Okay. Um, and he, he took what he's, he, he fra- he, well, <sighs> he frames the start of the book, for want of a better word by explaining that actually a lot of the stuff that people think they've been told about selling, about gaining audiences' attention and so on, is actually the reverse of what you really need to do when you're in that final or that big presentation or that big pitch moment. I have to say, I've got quite a lot out of the first third of this book. I've enjoyed it. And, he, and I've got a good quote here. I like it. Keep the audience' attention is like telling someone learning to play tennis to hit the ball with topspin when it comes. They know that. What they don't know is how to do it. And I like that. It's true, isn't it? We turn around to salespeople and say, you've got to get the audience's attention.
0: Yes, yes.
1: But actually, nobody really tells them how to do that. And then what he does is he gives a little bit of background, which is a bit... Uh, where he, what, what he talks about is sort of three levels of the brain. He talks about what he refers to as the crocodile brain. And I think what he's referring to is the reptilian brain, that lizard brain part of us that is there for he, he, re- regulating safety... The bit that, that we were initially born with that helped us survive the jungle. Then he says there's another layer. And then he says it's the neocortex, the top end, which uh, which processes information. And what he's saying is in any given meeting where people haven't met before and there's a pitch going on, he said that you as the salesperson, most salespeople are communicating to the higher end, the higher thinking end of the brain of the individual that you're hoping to convince and they're actually thinking about you through their lizard brain by asking themselves, am I safe? Am I okay? Am I going to survive this interaction? And most people don't realise, actually, that they're communicating to the wrong part of people's brains. So I've got that right. I think I have, haven't I?
0: Yeah, well, he says what what we do as a presenter is that we have very rationally thought about our pres- presentation. We're presenting from our neocortex, yep. assuming that we're presenting to their neocortex, but actually we're presenting to their croc brain. Yeah, he- so we've got to present to what appealed to their croc brain to start
1: with. Correct. And he said, he, he, I'm looking at the quote here. He says, up to 90% of your message is discarded before it's passed on up to the midbrain and then onto the neocortex. And I, I wrote a little note here. I said, it's a little bit like in the old days. I don't know if you've ever watched the Charlie Brown, Brown cartoons nope. where, the te- where the teacher stood over Charlie Brown and she's going, broom, 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 and Charlie Brown's just not hearing it. And he's just sort of stood there going, yeah, whatever. And it's a li- I, I do think a lot of salespeople are a little bit like that. I don't a hundred percent agree with all of that. I'd like to, I'm looking forward to reading the next sections of the book in as much as I'd like to hear him talk a little bit more about metaphor and the ability to actually directly tap into the unconscious part of the brain. And I don't think he does that. He's got his, he's got his little map of the world and he's very emphatic about it. I'm hoping next week, when we talk about the next chapters, he gets a little bit more into understanding the unconscious part of the brain and how to communicate to that unconscious part of the brain.
0: I mean, I don't know because I've not read that bit. But I tell you what I did like about it is I like the fact that he's very convicted about his method. It works for him. He's not tried to reinvent yeah, he's not tried to reinvent somebody else's words. He said, Right, this is what I think happens. Yeah. And I thought, well, you agree with it or not? I thought, fair enough, the manners. I agree with 90% of it. You know, the book, I think you would use is authenticity. It's him. It's what he thinks is what he says. And actually, when you get into his background, he pitches, you know, VCs for cash. Now, talk about me too market. It's as me too as it gets. So I think, you know, he he must have been good at presenting. And he sort of said, I'm good at presenting. I've raised a load of cash for a load of people. This is how I think it works, whether you agree with it or not. And I do agree, like you, I agree with a
1: lot of it. But whether you agree with it or not, you think I think, fair enough. And I think his frame is largely, he's used to pitching, selling to very intense, type A, highly successful, high net worth individuals.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's used to pitching type A, type a alphas, isn't it? That's what he does.
1: Type A alpha, high net worth individuals. And, and he's got a method for communicating with them That's really good. it's obviously worked, doesn't it? Um, Correct. And what he, you know, he makes a point here. He says that 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 lizard brain is emotional in the sense it will respond emotionally to what it sees and hears. Most of the time, that emotional response is fear. And I've got to tell you, Pricey, I've been trying to tell people for years, trying to tell candidates for years that when you walk into an interview, that client is terrified. And candidates look at me like I'm not, they look at me like I'm utterly bonkers. I say they're terrified. They've got a million different things there. I said, it's not just nervousness, it's terror. And people don't realize, and I think customers are terrified. Oh yeah, I'm here to sell. I'm here today to talk to you about spending 3 million quid on our software. That's terrifying shit, that. That's survival stuff. Like he says, all right, I'm going to buy off you and then lose my job and then lose my house and my wife and not see my kids again. Because I was an idiot that bought off you. That's a fearful purchase. And I don't think enough people understand the depth of fear in a customer.
0: I agree. And one caveat to that is, and I make reference to this guy, I know he listens to the show, he is the nicest man on earth. Who's that, Oren Clough? And No, not Oren Claff, I never spoke to him, but I placed his candidate a while ago. And uh, he's the nicest man on earth. And I think if you met him, his nice nature reduce, would reduce, subconsciously the amount of fear that you have.
1: Ah, I'm glad you've talked about this.
0: Because I think some people, you know, if you meet your doctor, right, I don't know about your doctor, a well, better example is my dentist. So for those of you that don't know, every time I get injected with a needle, I just black out. No idea why, I'm not nervous. But I do. I blacked out when I had my, my COVID injection. <laughs> but my, I don't know why. I said to the woman, I said, I'm going to black out. She went, really? You don't look very nervous. I said, I'm not, but I'm going to black out. But the point being, my dentist, he's just got this way about him of putting you at much greater ease. Just his persona, what he's like. The previous dentist, she wasn't a mean person, but for whatever reason we just didn't connect in the same way.
1: Ah, well what's interesting, Mike, is she knew that you were fright she knew that somewhere deep in your subconscious you've got a fear of the needle. Yeah. Correct. And she was there and that you that you have a propensity to pass out and faint. She then became fearful of you passing out and fainting. And then she projected her fear onto you, which made you more subconsciously fearful.
0: And I think that happens with sellers. I'll tell you where it really happens is... Oh, God, yeah. I saw your post recently about age. We'll get back to the book in a minute. I think the older, more wilier salespeople have just gotten a greater ease with them. And it must create subconsciously an easier environment. Yes, I I think the word is accomplishment, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. You you know, as much as you just hand his book, who's that guy? Whose book did we read last week? Zig Ziglar. Zig i And imagine if you met Zig with his sort of soft, soft, Southern drawl,
1: he will just generally have put people at ease when he was flogging pans to them. Yeah, but it's, it's just the power to not give a, give a toss. Yeah. Yes. That, that in itself exudes an awful lot of power.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to come on to frames now, aren't we, Jonathan?
1: Yeah, we are. So what he's talking about.
0: And I'll come back to your point when you talk about frames, I've got uh, something to talk to you about.
1: Yeah. So where, where am I? I'm just, uh, he, he, he's talking about the lizard brain. We've talked about that. Talking about Charlie Brown and the teacher and the croc brain. And then he also explains about the shortness of people's attention spans, which is absolutely right. And then what he says, once the frame is, he talks about something called a frame. So he says in every interaction, there is a frame. I've got my frame. You've got your frame. But
0: that's our frame of reference upon which our beliefs are built, basically.
1: Yes. And what he's saying is that the frames clash and collide in the meeting. He says that there is a clash, a big crash, and one frame gets on top of the other. Like two rugby players running at each other, one ends up on top and one ends up on the bottom. And he's saying, it's your job to be on top. Now, I think that's a very alpha, very aggressive way of doing it. And I kind of get it, and I'm kind of into it, but as I've got older, and we'll talk about this more as we get into the book, and it's interesting you talk about accomplishment and maybe accomplishment in and of itself creates its own frame. But I also have written so repeatedly, because he pans salespeople a little bit in the book. Without doubt, yeah. What he basically says, what he basically says is the traditional salesperson thinks, well, if I do enough appointments and, I, and I'm nice and fawning enough, sooner or later somebody will buy something off me. I think he's really missing the point, which is actually, if I do enough appointments and I've got enough stuff in my pipeline, I stop giving a shit. And therefore, actually, in and of itself, that creates my power frame.
0: Well, it's interesting as an extension to that. So you and I, Jonathan, last week wasn't we met three people in a room? There's me, you, and three others.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And this guy comes in, you know, whatever. Um, and then his yeah, let's, let's what? give
1: it let's 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 explain him. He's wearing an Alexander McQueen leather jacket that looks like he's pulled it up off the floor before he's got up and a, like a Vivian Westwood t-shirt underneath and pair of jeans. And he hasn't sorted his hair out and he's got a beard and he looks like he's, he, he, the way he, he had cultivated this look that was very carefully, I thought curated.
0: It was very carefully curated to say, I don't care. I don't care. But then you looked at it and
1: thought, yeah, you do. <laughs> you care, Yeah, correct. It was incredibly carefully curated. This sort of, yeah, I'm wearing a five grand leather jacket. Um, but hey, uh, I guess, <laughs> I just got out of bed late and pulled it up. It was lying on the floor of my bedroom. and I couldn't, it was the first thing I found. It was all that, wasn't it?
0: That was his power frame. That was what he was trying to project. Although I don't think he knew that because he wasn't the salesman.
1: Yeah. But
0: what was very interesting was we got to the end of the meeting. He went, right, got to go. Now that's his power play. That's his frame. I'm too important for you. I've got to go. And you see that a lot in meetings where people will go. I'm too important. You, I'm more important than you, therefore I am going to go. Now, what happened there was my frame and his frame collided. According to this book, Oren would say, is yeah, but Mike, his frame overpowered yours. No, it didn't actually. No. I just thought, I don't care. I thought, you go out of that pathway, leave. I
1: don't care. We both clocked it instantly, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> And I deliberately said nothing for the first 40 minutes of the meeting.
0: Well, you and I didn't talk. He talked at us. He asked us one question. I answered it. He then talked for 40 minutes, nonstop.
1: And, and then there was a moment where you and I sat silently and he said, I'd like to ask some questions. And I went, go on then. I said it in a subtly aggressive way. I went, go on then. like, a, like Literally like I was offering him outside. Go on then. Let's have a go. But, see, that's very
0: interesting though, because you and him, according to Oren, have a similar power frame. Yeah. That's your frame. You are both trying to exert power over one another, whereas my power frame is different because I don't care. And Oren doesn't take that into account. What's funny
1: is, how hard has he chased since the meeting?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but why? But why? Because Because you, you, I sat there and didn't say anything at all. I just sat there thinking, oh, yeah, right, it's like that, is it? And you sat there not just, all right, listen, mate, I don't give a shit who you are. Yeah. I just don't care about you, and
0: that's where the frame theory of this book falls falls down a little bit for me. It doesn't. It doesn't, though, because well, it assumes
1: that both parties want to have uh, power of the frames. Remember, you and I went into that meeting not really selling. Yeah, but well, that's fine. But that so therefore it changed. It changed our power frame. Imagine if we'd really wanted that deal.
0: Yes. Yes. I guess. Yeah. I guess.
1: But Imag- imagine if we'd really wanted and or needed it.
0: I wonder. But then let's take that into context of what the salespeople listening to this show do. They're pitching up wanting to sell their software. What if the other person that they're selling to isn't sat there wanting to buy it? Yeah, absolutely. Because in investment, what he does is he wants to get them to invest, and they want to find a reason to invest. Whereas actually what a lot of our guys are doing is they want to sell software, but the other person sat on the other side of the table might not want to buy it. Yeah. And that, I think, is where it falls down a little bit, because it's saying you've got to have frame control
1: to sell. And he actually, mocks spin selling somewhere in the book, doesn't he, as well? Oh, really? I mean, we both finished at page 90, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't recall seeing that. Um, But what he's basically saying is everybody brings their frame. I call it, because I'm from an NLP background, I call it a map of the world. We've all got, each of us has our own map of the world. And those maps overlap, don't they, sometimes? And those maps don't overlap. And some of us have got territory that the others can't see, and others have got territory the others can't see. But what he's saying is, actually, in any given scenario, somebody imposes their map on the other person.
0: That's what he's saying, yeah.
1: They say, this is the map. This is my, this is my map of the world, and that's the one we're using here, not
0: yours. And he said, you should try and, you, you should try and be in control of the map, is what he's saying.
1: Yeah, his words are, when frames come together, the first thing they do is collide. And this isn't a friendly competition. It's a death match. Frames don't merge. They don't blend. And they don't intermingle. They collide. And the stronger frame absorbs the weaker. And I, I, to be fair, I, I wrote, is this bollocks? Evidence? Question mark. References? Question mark. And there are no references. And there is no evidence.
0: Well, say he would then say, Johnny, that's you applying your analyst frame to it.
1: Yeah, he'd say maybe I'm. A, he'd say you're applying your analytical frame, but actually, my analytical frame says, "Okay, where's your evidence for that?"
0: Well, he has said early on in the book that he's done his ten
1: thousand hours. Yeah, he's done his ten thousand hours, but where's his academic reference?
0: We see that's interesting, isn't it? It's a, this is an interesting conversation we're having because it's about the book. Is you've got an analyst frame, and I have, you know, all the reference ten thousand hours. I, I don't care. I just couldn't. It just doesn't bother me. Whereas it does bother you. But what he's saying is you've got to recognize
1: that frame. It's not so much that. I'm just sat there thinking, I, he's not convinced me with that. I think, it's, I think it's a death match. Really? A death match?
0: Well, it's talking about death match of frames, isn't it? Not, not death
1: yeah, match of people. Yeah, but he says sales techniques were created for people who have already lost the frame collision and are struggling to do business from a subordinated something. Really? Are they? Now, actually, uh, I, I, we're lucky, Mike, because a lot of the people we work with, and we spend a lot of time dealing with very senior level sales roles. And because of that, a lot of the guys that we work with are instantaneously coming into a lot of the meetings they operate in from quite a high power frame. Does that make sense? So I think that I'm looking at this through a point of the world where I think, okay, well, I'm looking at some of the people we work with, and you think, mm, actually, are you a hat-doffy salesman? Well, we don't deal with that many of them. You see what's, what's interesting, and it, it, this book's really got us thinking, though, so you know, to be
0: clear, should you read the book, yeah, 100%, because it's food for thought. If- this is a definite read for me. Yeah, it, it's food for thought, if nothing else. So
1: show, one of, show one of this book, we'll do three shows on it. This is a definite definite read yeah,
0: yeah absolutely you
1: well, know zig ziglar secrets se- secrets closing the sale mm, maybe this this is a definite one for me
0: only because it gets you thinking you know think about the conversation we're having you're making the assumption with the clients that they walk in with a power frame i tell you now i do i never walk into clients with a power frame it's just not
1: my frame i'll give you you know there's a couple of times in my career where i as i was reading this book i thought back i went to an appointment once at ncc and i'm very embarrassed to admit this Geezer took his shoes off and put his feet on his desk. Right? And I didn't walk out.
0: Well, Oren wouldn't have said walk out. Oren would have said if you want to get control of that frame, you should have taken your shoes and socks off and put your bare feet on the table.
1: Yes, that's absolutely what he'd say. And actually, and and I remember hating myself for not walking out or not calling him out on it and not saying, what do you think you're doing?
0: You see, that's your power frame, though, isn't it? That, that's, that, and that's the point about this. You operate from a power frame where you're bothered about having the more stronger frame using Oren's piece.
1: It wasn't about having the stronger frame. It was about being mugged off and made a dickhead of. the
0: yeah, same thing, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I knew, it came back to me last night, I knew that this guy was taking the piss out of me.
0: You see, that's, that, 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 that's your map of the world. That's your view, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because I I, I'm, I have a natural power frame and I'm quite alpha.
0: See, why I was I would I would have just sat there; it wouldn't have bothered me
1: in the slightest. Couldn't literally. I would have just uh, no. But Oren would say, but with it, you with it not bothering you, would he? Well, he'd say if you he would say that you've lost the power frame and that he's taken the power.
0: Yes, and I would say to Oren, that's fine, Oren. All I'm there to do is try and place some business with him. Yeah, and and at this last. Like- so actually, in taking my shoes off and trying to gain control over him, I've then lost him because that's the position he wants to have. Now it depends on whether you, on the outcome that you want.
1: I also believe, you know, at the moment, of what's really interesting is candidates are such a finite resource, and the client volume is so high. Our power frame is very high, isn't it? Uh, uh- uh, our natural point of power frame is incredibly high at the moment. You can walk away from a client. You know, if I went to a client meeting tomorrow and a geek's put his foot on the table, would I take my shoes off? No, just, I just, I I wouldn't do that because I'm not that gamey. I'd just, because I'm, we've talked about this before, if, in a psychometric test, I came up out of a hundred people. I'd been the 2% of most disagreeable people. I'd be the most likely to call people out on stuff. I would just go, mate, why have you taken your shoes off? What, do you, what are you hoping to achieve by doing that? Now, actually that would probably fuck my meeting up. Screw the meeting up, wouldn't it? Because I've humiliated, I've called the guy out on his ridiculous alpha male behaviour. You really tend to polarise clients. Yeah, I can do if I really fancy it. If when they love me, they are absolutely adore you me.
0: Do. The clients, the client side, they really love you, don't
1: Yeah, actually. Yeah, and I'm not. But
0: that's but that's the point of this book is.
1: And I'm not afraid to lose one though. No, I'm not. But and that's the point. That's the point. That's the point. He's making is the fear a lot of what makes a salesperson weak is the fear of the the fear of a having traveled to a meeting that turned out to be a waste of time or having traveled to a meeting to tell, tell their boss after how would you meet and go well, i walked out after 15 minutes what you taken a whole day to go to the meeting how many salespeople are gonna have the nuts to tell their boss i walked out after 15 minutes
0: well i think there's a finer point on that actually is but it's not the fact that the, the boss doesn't say, oh, you took a whole day to go to the meeting. Your boss says, uh, that was on my pipeline that I'd given to my boss. Correct. That's what I really bothered about. How, think, how did you meet,
1: your meeting go, mate? Well, actually, uh, the mi- It's not on the pipeline anymore. Actually, the meeting didn't take place. It kept me waiting in reception for 30 minutes. I thought it was a power play, so I got my car and went home.
0: Yeah, and that's where I disagree with the book, because I think that often the people with the greatest flexibility...
1: Have the great uh, Correct, uh, uh, that's the, uh, it's, it's a presupposition of NLP. The person with the most flexibility has the greatest control over the system.
0: Whereas there's no flexibility with this. You're in charge, that's it. If you're not in charge, you don't do it. That's sort of what he says, really.
1: Yeah, he, he's, saying, he's saying you either have power or you don't.
0: And if you don't have power, it's not worth doing. And I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all, actually.
1: But maybe that's because you and I have got slightly different friends. What I do agree with is... And what I'll tell you what else I'm not sure about is, I think power is developed over time with a client. Sometimes,
0: well, trust is developed. Trust is developed with a client, which then creates its own. Correct.
1: I made a note. uh, Correct. I made a note earlier. Uh, It's it's in my notes as we go through it, where I talked a lot about. uh, I said, "Where's trust in this?" Yeah. Trust is uh, absolutely, Mike. Trust is power, and actually, a large part of what gives you the power is that the client sat there thinking you know what he's all right this guy and I get it he gets it and he understands me and there's there's no mention of rapport yes and there's no mention of trust and I I kind of get that I kind of get his point about not needing to build rapport because a lot of people do build rapport in a very needy way so when we were in that meeting with those two guys the other day I didn't really build any rapport but what I did do was I crossed my legs to mirror the guy on the left and I mirrored the guy in the ridiculous jacket in exactly the same way as he was sitting all the way through the meeting. Neither of them clocked it, but I deliberately mirrored and matched both of them. And I also, and I also mirrored the fact that he was an incredibly visual thinker. Do
0: you know what's interesting, actually? I clocked all that. I just didn't bother. Um, and he spoke to you a lot more than me. Yeah. And I could see that happening. I knew it was happening, but I just thought, yeah, I don't care.
1: And so I think your man Oren Klatt's missing a little bit there. Because there's some subtle stuff that creates power too. Well, well, Yeah, but but he only has one view of the world, doesn't he? <laughs> his view of the world is the framing. That's his frame, yeah. He, the, and, and I get it. You know, he, he's used to walking around Wall Street talking to dickheads. But
0: I bet they're not. I bet if you're, I bet yeah, if you're around a yeah, dolphin, the good.
1: top boys, the top boys will all be really nice.
0: Yeah.
1: They're always nice. It'll be the bottom. Fe- it'll be the bottom feeders that aren't top boys. That'll be the ones that you have to play power games with.
0: I've
1: never, met a, I've never met a top person that isn't a nice person. They might not have been nice to me. Have you ever read Ray Dalio's book? Was he the trader? Principles. Yeah. He wrote a book called Principles. It's a great, it's a great book. You know, he's, he's not far off as rich as Warren Buffett. He's, he's a top. I've read it, yes. Right. Ray Dalio. I know if me and you met him tomorrow, one, if you met him and you didn't know him to see him, you'd walk into a meeting room, you wouldn't know he was the decision maker. I'm sure, yeah he wouldn't sit in a decision maker's seat and you would think, what a lovely man.
0: Well, let's get right, Johnny. You, you know, you, you worked for a chief exec of a major company, a guy called Chris. Ah, uh,
1: couldn't. It's in my notes, mate. Chris, uh, Chris Spencer, I worked for, he was the CEO of Emis. Just not a man who would ever, ever think of playing a power game in a meeting like that. Well, did Dean
0: Dickinson ever play it with me, chief exec in Castleton? Never. <laughs> no. Lovely no. man. No. I have no
1: interest in that at all. Because Not. his intellect, his intellect was just so vast that he didn't need to. He had nothing to prove, did he? Do you know what I mean? He just had, no, nothing to prove. And it wasn't an arrogant, I'm the smartest guy in the room. He just no, was. He just didn't care. It was just like, yeah, well, I just want a result. Yeah, he's just a hyperbrain. He's in the meeting and he's like, are we doing it or what? And he was very pleasant. He'd never lose his temper. He's always quietly spoken. But he'd never play a power game like that with a, with a salesperson.
0: Yeah,
1: completely agree. It's just, it's it, it just walking and go, right, okay, um, I'm in this meeting, right, let's just make sure I've understood everything.
0: So, I, I, can you do a job for me, yes or
1: no? Yeah, can you solve a problem for me? This is my problem, can you solve it? No, you can't. Okay, Raul, right, well, I'm really sorry. I'm busy, I've got to go. But we're knocking the book a little bit now. Not in a room, we're knocking the book a little bit now, but uh, I don't mean to. But actually, there's a lot in here. Yeah, he talks about when you fail to control the social frame, you've probably already lost. A frame is an instrument you use to package your power, authority, strength, information, and status. Uh, and I wrote here, Michael is going to hate the idea of. Michael, I have written here, Michael is going to hate the idea of packaging power, authority, strength, and status.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's not my frame.
1: Yeah, um, do, 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 strong frames activate basic desires. Prime, he, you know, he talks about how primal it is. He says, if I know the person I'm meeting is a hard charging type A personality, I will go in with a power busting frame. If that person is an analytical dollars and cents type, I will choose an intrigue frame. I'm outnumbered and outgunned and the deck is stacked against me. Time frames and prize frames are essential. I'm also ready and willing to switch to a different frame as the social interaction changes or develops. And you can use the power busting frame, time constraining frame or intrigue frame. I'll tell you, some of it's really good. You know, like the whole thing. Uh, for example, I can't stand it when salespeople say, "You got a minute? You're right to talk." Oh, yeah, I agree. That that is dreadful salesmanship. I never ever ask people if they've got a minute to talk because the immediate answer is no, and the immediate projection. And I've been saying this for twenty years trying to train recruitment consultants. You're projecting weakness.
0: Yes, you don't. And, to, you don't have to project strength, but just don't make yourself look weak.
1: Correct. You don't, that's absolutely the point. You don't have to project strength. Just don't look, don't look like a weakling. Yeah, great. And the whole is it, is it okay if you've got a couple of minutes to talk? Yeah, great. I, I'm the salesman. You're the prospect. I'm, you're more powerful than me. And I'm a hat doffy little fawning salesman. And that's a key part of his point is, Understanding that power dynamic, and I think that's why a lot of people really like this book. A lot of salespeople, because it made them understand that there is a power dynamic where a lot of people never did before.
0: Yes, and it tells you how to deal with the power dynamic. So he's got like the intrigue frame is an answer to the analyst frame. Yes, and you think, yeah, phonish.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, he says that sales customers expect your fawning deference and obedience. I wrote, maybe I'm a natural power buster as I don't fawn and defer, but I have fawned and deferred in my career.
0: Do you know what's interesting, because I know you pretty well, is your frame is a strong power frame, and to you, fawning and deferring is a weak thing to do. Whereas to others, they might not necessarily fawn. So I don't fawn to anybody, but I'm not bothered about having the
1: power either. And there's a subtle difference. No, I'm less bothered about it. I, I'm less bothered about it. I just won't fawn. I, I won't bend the knee, as they say in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I won't. I won't bend the knee. I don't bend the knee to any man. Yeah, well, your so, so, yeah, absolutely. And, and, he, and what he talks about is being defiant and sort of charming at the same time. And I, quite, I, quite, I, I get that. You can't just be aggressive. It's a, it's a, a, a sort of funny, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Just a little bit of defiant charm where they go, oh, God, right, okay, I can't get away with that
0: you know, years ago, one of my mates, you know him, he's a mate actually, had an interview with a company and the guy said to him, "Chance a brew? And the mate, and it was an interview. And they went, yeah, that'd be great. He went, do what? I'm just going to go uh, to the meeting room. Just make us both a brew with you. K- Kitchen's over there. Now this man, you know him, big man, big guy. Yeah, yeah. He walked straight out. He just walked straight out. <laughs> that was all he did. He just walked
1: straight out of the office. What, so the interviewer said to him, go make me a brew?
0: No, no, it wasn't like that. It was nicer than that. Then she went, how are you doing? By the said, the meeting was over there. Should we have a cup of tea? He's well, My mate. going, yeah, yeah, let's have a cup of tea. He went, right, two up. He's got a start in the, the meeting room.
1: Kitchen's there. Would you mind making us both a cup of tea, please? My mate didn't answer and walked out. His salesman's instinct was bang on. I would say spot on. Yeah, it's good stuff. He, he knows. He's got, good, he's got a good career. He knows what he's doing. This and if you, t- if you said to him, why did you do that? He'd say, he just didn't feel right. But actually, what you know, what his subconscious mind was saying was, "This guy is trying to alpha dog the shit out of me."
0: And you, you know this guy—you know, six-foot odd, massive. He's an alpha. He's as alpha as you get. Nice, polite man, no doubt about it. You know, I'd let him look after my kids. But he, I swapped
1: a couple of messages with him on LinkedIn the other day. Lovely
0: guy. But yeah, he, he just walked straight out.
1: And that's the point, isn't it? It's the. Uh, Like I have a personal rule with customers. If I'm on site and they make me wait and they don't come personally to say, mate, I'm really sorry. I'm running behind. I just go home. Now I know that's ridiculous, but it's a personal thing for me. Don't send your PA, pop your head out the door. Say, Jonathan, I'm really sorry. I'm running late. I'm so sorry. No problem. If I'm just sat there waiting, I have a 15 minute rule. It made me wait 15 minutes. Right now I'm not coming. I'm not playing. I, I go home. So let's bring another book into
0: the play then. So we read a book that we liked, How to Get a Meeting with Anybody. Yeah. We can't be written by you. Who was it written by, you'll then,
1: Stu Heineken.
0: Yeah. So Stu Heineken gave this example, lots of examples actually, where reps would hang around and wait for an exec to walk past them.
1: Oh, you get just screwed.
0: Not according to Stu Heineken. And we liked that book.
1: Can, we, can you remember we had a, sent a candidate to an interview? Little, <laughs> nice fella. And he, he stank the place out of the interview. Nice man,
0: placed him a few times. I know exactly you mean.
1: And he doorstepped the CEO the next day. Yeah, doorstepped him. Full on doorstep the guy because he knew he'd screwed up and he kind of felt like he'd let us down.
0: Mm.
1: So he doorstepped the guy. Now... I don't know, I, I, looking at it through the lens of this book, he's lost power the moment he sat on the doorstep, hasn't he? Like a needy girlfriend, not even a needy girlfriend, a, a, a needy, just a needy, it's a needy thing to do. And it's grubby. And I've got to tell you, I, I could never do that. The only time I've ever done it in my life was when I was working at Emis and we had a customer where we'd already done a lot of work and the contractor had sat on his desk for two weeks. And in good faith, we'd started the implementation and he hadn't actually put his moniker on the contract. And I sat in reception on site at his offices from seven in the morning until 6 p.m. that night. And, the, and I explained to the, to the secretary, I will not leave here until he has signed that contract. And at 6 p.m. that night, the dickhead came out with a signed contract. But lo and behold, the, the reality is he made me sit in his reception. All day. Why? Because a power thing. Yeah. And he didn't like the fact that I put him under pressure. So he again came out at 6pm with the contract. And lo and behold, the relationship with that customer was wrong. All the way through. And in the end, we pulled the software out and moved on. Do, do you know what's interesting about, about this book, though? is, And just going back to my
0: Stu for example, is Oren wouldn't like Stu Heinecker's, uh protégés sat in car parks waiting for chief execs to come out.
1: And sending swords to people.
0: Yeah, exactly. But at no point has Oren talked about booking a meeting.
1: No, I think Oren I think Oren would like Stu Heineke's style. I think Oren Claff would say, you've got the meeting, but when you get that meeting, do not let them think they're stronger than well, that's
0: you. That's the, the point. point. That's the point. This is only about when you've got a meeting.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he talks. You know,
0: Oren's all, all for and well, knocking salespeople. Yeah, the rubbish, everything you've been taught, forget it. Yeah, that's great, Oren, but how do you get in front of the clients to start with?
1: Yeah, let's see you get an appointment. Get an appointment, mate. And at some point to get an appointment, there is, there's always got to be some part of you that, that is, a, is attractive. You know, he talks a little bit here about uh, a, a customer walking in. Yeah, I'm really busy. I haven't got time to do this today, really. And he's saying, great. So what you should, so he should he's saying, you should say, so you guys are asking me to delay. Okay, here's what I'll do. I'll give you 15 minutes to organise. get organized. If we can't start by then, we'll call it a day and we can uh, uh, reschedule and you can come up to us for the next meeting. And actually, he's right. But actually, the book should be called Grow a Pair of Nuts.
0: That's a big part of it. Yeah, but so interesting. so I've got a call today at 11.30 with a low-code software vendor. To say their call cool is an understatement. Right. Guy said to me yesterday, he said, can you do 11.30 tomorrow? I went, "Yep, yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, I didn't look at my diary. Who knows whether I'm free?
1: Yeah, because it's that good an appointment.
0: Yeah, 11.30, 1130 tomorrow. Yeah, I, I didn't it. yeah, yeah, it's fine.
1: I'll tell God I can speak to him at 12.15. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, and at some point,
1: you've just got to make stuff happen.
0: And that's what he doesn't talk about enough for me, is there's almost like a frame transition from there being a prospect to there being sat in a room. Because C- actually, throughout this book, throughout the first 94 pages of this book, he has been there selling something that they already have an interest in, in some kind. You know, he's obviously got a good reputation as a financier. Yeah. Successful track record. What
1: if you work for Didley Scott Software that no one's ever heard of? I'll tell you who I think this book would be great for. So I've got a relative who's had a business for five years that was bankrolled by his dad. It's pathetic, really. But it was bankrolled by his dad. uh, And I reckon he's done 100 VC pitches. I reckon he's done 100. Wow. At least And never really got any real funding for it. And I think if he'd read this, I know for a fact, because I've actually uh, sat in on meetings with him once or twice. He doesn't get that. That would have been a, this book would have been a game changer for him.
0: Is he waiting in reception for, for hours?
1: Yeah. Just, it's like, you know, when you see on Dragon's Den and you get, Every now and then, one turns up knowing damn well their shit doesn't stink, and they know what they've got is hotter than hell. Yes. And there's a swagger about them, isn't there? Yeah, oh,
0: without a doubt. Yeah.
1: I'm here today to pitch you for five million pounds for one percent of my idea in the artificial intelligence sector that's going to change the entire universe. And the dragons all sit there going, woo. But there's a swagger that they exude. Just there's something about them. They know, yeah, right, whatever. If you ain't going to invest someone else... But you see, Levi
0: Roots didn't have that. What was Levi Roots' power
1: frame? Uh Ah, his power frame was charm and humility. And uh, and I've written this, and this is the point I'm saying. I actually wrote uh, at this point in the book, it's all well and good for some people, but that's going to be unbelievably inauthentic. I'm really, really good at personally that kind of power framing. I'm a world authority on it. It's a classic raise, re-raise, fold poker game but it's inauthentic. It lacks humanity. It lacks the vulnerability needed to make a real solution sale. And I said to invite, I, I said to invite a client to really open up about their business. Yes, it's great if it's a final pitch, but if you've done a good job prior based on your open and honest vulnerability and authenticity, then the power issue is removed as you've built real trust and humanity. And that's my issue with it is as I'm getting older, I'm more about trust, authenticity, humility. Humanity. Well, you,
0: you were when you were younger, you just didn't
1: realise. Correct. And that's much more congruent with me than, yeah, right, mate, I'll put my feet on the table too. Or i eat an apple too. Yeah, his apple. Uh, uh, the, yeah. I liked his apple thing. And, you know, I was always taught, it was little things like when people ate on the phone, sorry, can we speak again when you're not eating? You know, I was always taught that. That's how I was taught to do recruitment. You don't talk to clients that are that eating or smoking a fag down the phone. It's, it's disrespectful of you. Tell the client that you're calling back later. That That is how I was trained. But actually, as I get older, you know, I'll hit 50 in December. I'd rather be humble, listen, understand, and have the customer realize I'm a man that can be trusted. Yeah, I'm with you on
0: that. I, I like his little phrase here, always believing. I
1: like that. <laughs> yeah, but he's right. And I get it. I get it, always believe. Oh, I'm so sorry, I've got to go. And, you know, I like the idea of it talks a little bit, you know, about uh, the intrigue frame where you almost make the whole meeting a cliffhanger. Don't show them all of it. Yes, I agree. You, cr- you create little gamey cliffhangers during your presentation. Brilliant idea. I'll tell you what, if me and you had to go do a pitch tomorrow, I would, uh, that alone has been a great thought for me because I think that's less of a power play and just more of a fun way of presenting. Is I'd, I'd recreate our presentation with a cliffhanger. Because actually, he's right. He he talks about the movie Jaws. He says, in Jaws, you can never see the shark. You hardly see the shark in the whole movie. And he says, that's why it's one of the most successful, most brilliant films of all time, why Spielberg's a genius. It's because he doesn't show you the shark.
0: Well, well, he said, imagine putting a tracking beacon
1: on the shark. How boring would it be then? (laughs) It'd have been a boring movie. shark's over there. He, He said, it's the fact that you don't know where the shark is. The fact is that there's intrigue. The fact is that... There's millions of scenes of people on the beach. <gasps> it's the shark there that, that they've got you. And he said, to present in that way is incredibly powerful. And I get that. And I thought, yeah, really good point.
0: So what do we make of chapter three then about status? I didn't like this chapter, actually.
1: I've been liking the book up to this point as well. Could, do, you, do you know what the location point is in the book there on, on the Kindle? No idea. It's chapter three, page 69 in the good old-fashioned book. Oh, the book books that they're, they're just just so 20 2010 called what what page are you on pricey 69 right i've got
0: it he tells this story about a french waiter
1: now that's an interesting one because i know you so well and i know you'd hate that restaurant
0: i would actually have left that restaurant so so basically for the people listening he tells this story of the French waiter the French waiter comes over and goes what do you want to drink and he's a bit intimidated and he he just picks an expensive bottle of wine off the wine list and the French waiter goes well how do you know what you want to drink if you haven't ordered your food and he said at that point he had me nailed honestly if I went to a restaurant and somebody did that I just said this I'm not interested I'm leaving
1: yeah yeah it's a funny one isn't it but I liked his story, actually. His story about how power works was very clever. And, and I've, I've written here, status is best under, for me, I think status, as we've already talked about, is best underplayed or played in a confusing and scrambling way.
0: Yeah, but that, I mean, I agree with you, but
1: that's not what a lot of people do. You know, there's a
0: lot of big status plays out there, isn't there? You know, you, you, you come up to these offices, there's Porsche parked outside, that's a status play, that 100%. Massive corner office overlooking London. I went to a guy's office uh, and there be a massive corner office
1: overlooking London. That was all status That 100%. Of course it is. But well, I've got a mate, right, who, who, he was the best man at my wedding. And he's ludicrously wealthy. I mean, I reckon his house in London is 25 million quid now. Easy. And he goes around listening to VC pitches all day. He's a VC, he invests in companies proper full-on, you know, he'll make 40 investments a year, a couple will pay off and he'll make millions. And um, he walks around in scruffy jeans, a t-shirt. He doesn't even have a notepad. He won't, he doesn't have a Montblanc pen. He has a biro that he picked off one of his daughter's uh, homework desks on the way out the house and one of the girl's pink pads. Uh, He wears trainers and he gets the tube to meetings. But it's interesting because he used to drive around in a ridiculous Aston Martin, wear Armani, have his hair cut every week, and now it kind of—I think st- the rules of status have changed. I think by being that underplayed, that almost is the higher status.
0: That's the new way. That's that's the new way of doing it. Yes, it?
1: it's the new way of exhibiting status. The I don't give a shit.
0: Where I live, people try and buy the worst cars possible. Yeah. But I live in a really nice
1: place. Gillian, uh, well, there's a, there's a whole thing now, isn't there? You know, again, Gillian's brother, who's an extremely successful guy, when I, when he first achieved all his success, he bought an Aston Martin, da, 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 did the whole thing. Now it's all about vintage Rolexes that look old and knackered, that are actually a quarter of a million quid, but you can't tell. Uh, his Range Rover is 11 years old with the gun safe in the back, do you know what I mean? And dog hair. It's all about, uh, you know, if you go, he'll often drive around in one of the kids' golf polos because it's easy to park. And he doesn't do that.
0: That's the new way of doing it though, isn't
1: it? Yeah, he doesn't do that immediate, obvious, I've got shitloads of money and status thing. And I think there's almost a level beyond which people have so much status that they don't do status anymore.
0: So, it, but, but the not doing status is the new hyper status though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it is. It's the new hyperstatus, actually.
1: Whereas, you know, the average... That's
0: what the guy that we met the other week, that's what he was trying to exude. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Totally. He was trying he- to exude hyperstatus. But it didn't quite come off for me. Well, it was incongruent with him, wasn't it? Actually. It, well, it wasn't so much incongruent with him. It just didn't quite come off. It was, it, it was very obvious that it was too carefully curated. It was all just too carefully created. So yeah, it, 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 and the other thing that I've thought about a lot is this is written from an American frame. In America, they don't really have a social class system, but here we do. And what the book did get me thinking about is, and, and it makes me sound terrible, but it got me thinking about somebody we have done some work with recently, who you and I are very, very, very fond of, and we really believe in as an individual. Okay. But actually, he's from, let's just say, a little bit on the other side of the well, tr- He's
0: from a very working-class background, isn't he, this is reality? He's done very well for himself, and I love that about him.
1: Yes. And you and I have incredible warmth, affection for that individual and respect, and, and both of us are determined to place this guy. But actually struggling in interviews and reading this book did make me think, Ugh actually low status and he's coming across as low status
0: he's very deferential actually isn't
1: he how you said it yep and it really it was a pen this, I finished off the last 20 pages of where we said we'd get to early this morning and I thought ah, now I know why and, th- and despite that you and I really believe in him because we both think he's a good salesman
0: is, is it, well, i tell you what beyond that actually he's a good man I'd like it if he was my next door neighbour
1: yes we both really want him to get a good job
0: he's a good man yeah Good man. What What do you think about his point about alpha and beta? Because it just never bothered me, that. But he says, do not underestimate the importance and value of status to your overall success. And he, then he goes on, he goes, today it's difficult
1: to be familiar with techniques like building rapport, pushing features and benefits, overcome objections, and trial closing. It's It's interesting, isn't it? Because there is, there is always a status grab in a meeting. You know, I, 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 there was a, another meeting that came to mind that – that I thought of with a slightly embarrassed tint. I have a re- he talks a little bit about when where for a real pitch coffee shops are an absolute r- last resort. I will mention one more public beta trap because it's common trade shows and conventions is the highlight. Page eighty one. Now I have a real thing about this. I just will not meet customers in coffee shops. So I happily, will uh, what's the problem? I have my view is if I'm if you're not meeting me in your office it's because you probably shouldn't be meeting me at all or you don't have budget you don't have authority you don't have a need or you don't have a time scale to the project and it brought me to a meeting i had i'm going to mention the name of the guy because i don't like him um a guy called dean harrigan He's this sales director of board when he was at blackline i met him i, I met him had a meeting with him and uh Uh, uh, it was fortunately, it was one of several meetings i had done in London that day. If it had been the only one, I'd have been gutted of a waste of a day. And he met me in reception. He came out to reception and he ushered me to a coffee place downstairs and we had coffee. Then he played Bobby Big Bollocks to this really, excuse my language, he played Mr. Big to, uh, this pretty girl waitress. He's a real, he's a massive guy, this guy massive muscle head uh, he's, he's got that look of somebody that's lifted a lot of weights over the years he's massive enormous i'm sure he got there most legitimately and um then he made a real big deal of sort of flirting with this girl in front of me and then we had coffee and then he never ever called me again and i couldn't I literally i have never spoken to him since
0: Maybe he's listening
1: to the show he might ring in. Uh, if he's listening to the show, he can. He can ring in. Him. Do himself. Yeah, he can ring in if he likes and, and explain himself. But what I did think about as he was, I was reading the book was I thought, he's right. Guy, should you out of his office. What are you doing? Now, you'd say, yeah, fine, great, go for a coffee. But actually, if you look at the interplay of power in that particular meeting, he's just alphabetized me all the way out the door. See that? And I've, and, and, and I've stood for it. Now, you'd say you don't care.
0: I don't. I don't. I don't see the point in confrontation. I'd sit there and think, why have you done that? 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 Got no money, not a decision maker. I'd say, listen, it's great to meet you. Thanks very much. I wouldn't ever call him again.
1: No. And actually, you wouldn't even call him out on the fact that he'd wasted your time.
0: No, I'd just leave it. I'd, I'd just clock it and think, yeah, whatever.
1: What a waste of time. Took me out of his office. <laughs> It wasn't a decision maker. Whereas what your man here is saying is, he's saying, actually, when the guy tries to whistle you down to a coffee shop, you say, no, I'll tell you what, let's do a meeting here.
0: Well, well it's interesting about collecting information just on that one, because all you do is save that. You'd, be, you'd have a candidate that you are talking to about one of your clients. You'd say, "Well, else you got on the go? It went, i met such and such. And I go, oh, did he take you out for a coffee? Didn't he not let you in his office? The candidate would go, yeah, he did take me for a coffee, actually. And I go, why did you think he did that? And the candidate would go, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? I have no idea. Just asking you.
1: Correct. It's just information. It's data. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But what but, but your point, go back to your point. He's saying, no, no, do it in the office.
1: Yeah, he's saying, yeah, it's all well and good saying I've qualified him out. He's not a decision maker. He's a dick. He plays power games. But he said, actually, maybe he's just played power games. He, he would argue he's bullied you to the point where actually he might have, been, he might have had money and you've let him push you about uh, and actually had you stood up to him and said, no, let's do this meeting in the office. You might've done business with the guy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think you would actually, because it doesn't
1: change whether he's got budget or not, does it? So what, well, you know, what, what have you gained? No. And I think with, I think when they, issue, I think, I think when they say, yeah, let's meet for a coffee, it's one of two reasons. Either they're firing somebody and they don't want anyone to hear, or they can't get a meeting room, or actually it's off book. Bu- I call it off book. They've gone off book. They shouldn't be talking to you. They've not got any authority or budget to talk to you, so they go and take you for a cup of coffee because they think, "Oh shit, that guy's here. Fuck, he's turned up for that meeting." Oh no, I forgot.
0: Whereas, um, just extending it, you you do go and have a cup of coffee, and then you say to him, "Listen, why why are we sat here? Why aren't we sat in your office? Because yeah. if you need my help to
1: get me as one of your suppliers, but that's the power play. That's a co- but that's that's what Oren Claff would say. Say, call him on it."
0: Oh, oh, yeah, good, yeah, depending on the scenario. I'd be, I'd be no, actually, I
1: think it. you're right. I think the right thing to do is to build some rapport, build some trust, be authentic, and then at some point say, listen, I can't but, but clock the fact. You've ushered me out of the office and brought me down here. Why? Why are we saying? Yeah. But that in itself is a very alpha thing to do, and it's very much a, listen, I've listened to you for 40 minutes. Oh, and by the way, I'm shitloads more alpha than you think I am.
0: Yes, we do get people that are quite like that, don't you? Actually, yeah. You know, you, you know, you know my friend. The, you know my friend, the rugby player. He's actually very alpha when you meet him, but you actually get to know him. He's not alpha in the slightest.
1: Now I've got well. What's interesting, Mike, is a lot of these rugby playing boys. They're all very beta. They're all very, very beta dogs. Very- well, you
0: know the man I'm one about He's a big guy, strong.
1: He's a fighter on the pitch. An absolute sock. But you could dominate him easily in a meeting, mm, mm. unbelievably easily. Dominate him. You could crush. You could. You could just annihilate him in a meeting if you wanted. You could crush him.
0: He's too nice a to man, though. I'd never do that. Yeah, he's a lovely, lovely guy.
1: But do you know what I mean? You could understand why he'd get pushed about.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So here we are, page eight. I don't or page one—it doesn't matter. But what he's talking about is you've pitched up to a meeting to meet Mr. Big and his team. Yeah. Mr. Big can't make it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he says. At this point, you've been trapped and are completely defeated. So, what happens to us is we have different buyers in a different account. So, currently, I'm dealing with a Microsoft partner. I'm dealing with HR and recruitment. They're absolutely top draw, They're great, lovely. Can't fault them. Doing good work with them. They're the first to say that the budget, risk, 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 you know, is in the sales director's purse. And they say, listen, if you want to speak to sales directors, just give me a shout. Talk to them. Now, as it happens, I know the sales director, both of them, fairly well. So I've got a very easy relationship with Interlo Recruitment and with the sales directors. All good. Yeah. Let's say they were a new client that I'd never spoken to. Yep. And I drove to sit down with Interlo Recruitment and I drove to sit down with, uh, and the sales director was going to be there. Yeah. I get that sales director can't be there. Respectfully, as I've just said, we know the sales director's got the budget and that, and now sat there with just, just with just HR. <laughs> what Warren is saying is, he's saying, well, you need to reschedule your meeting. i got to say, I wouldn't, I'd just sit through it and see what happened personally. person. What would you do? Because mm. Oren's saying reschedule, isn't he?
1: I, I did a, I did a, I, I got involved in a tender with a company a couple of years ago. And I was involved with a number of people. I'm making myself sound like a right fanny here. Um, I, I was involved with a couple of people in the tender process. I didn't really want to respond to the tender. I shouldn't have responded to the tender, really. And when I turned up to the pitch, the people involved in the actual tender process itself weren't there. And I did the presentation anyway. And there was a voice screaming in my head that said, go home, go home, go home. And I didn't, I just sort of went through the motions and did the presentation anyway to a load of people that had no power whatsoever in the decision-making process. Never heard from them again.
0: I think you did the right thing, though, because it's just a percentage play, isn't it? Your time invested
1: anyway. Yeah, it's like a seven nine off. It's a seven iron off the edge of the green, isn't it?
0: But I love that, by the way. But for um, but for the sake of an hour, you may as well just do your pitch, why wouldn't
1: you? Because actually, what Aaron Claff would say is, you want those people in that room walking in to talk to the decision maker, and the guy's gone home.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's the fair comment with them looking bewildered. He'd say, leave them, leave them bewildered, walking into a meet, walking into the office, going, can't believe it, Cassie's got up and gone home. And then, and the and the decision maker going why? And he said something about his time being valuable, and if you wanted to rearrange, you could come to his offices.
0: Interesting power play.
1: And also, and also, previous mentors of mine would have said, "You go home because it keeps your pecker up, and sometimes it's a shitty grind."
0: Yeah, the pecker thing that bother me at all, but I think it's an interesting one to create intrigue on the client, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like I say, if a customer made me wait for more than a certain amount of time, I would go home. You know, let's, we've talked about this before. PTC used to do it. They used to leave candidates waiting in reception for interviews just for, uh, but why did, why did they do that, Mike? Why did they leave candidates? Well,
0: they were just testing the metal of the person. That's all they were doing.
1: They wanted, they wanted to know if the person had enough guts to knock on the door and say, why you got, why have you made me wait? If you keep me waiting, I'm going to go home.
0: So here's one for you, Johnny. I've been saving this up. Might be real, might not be real. So, uh, the, so the head of Amazon Web Services, don't know what his name is, her name, phoned me up and when we're going to get into healthcare. We want to see Jonathan Graham tomorrow in London. So
1: I've got your ticket for you. They're already smashing it in healthcare, mate.
0: Oh, I think that's fair. Well, I've got your ticket. You're there. You've got me there at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, right? Yeah. So I've got you a hotel. You're there. Nine o'clock, 9.20. No one's pitched up. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk out? You spent five
1: hundred quid on travel and hotel. Oren Claff would say yes.
0: Well, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking, would you walk away?
1: I think I have the advantage, Mike. Of we work for ourselves. I think if somebody just kept me waiting indefinitely, I think anything past about thirty-five minutes, thirty minutes, I'd say, listen, I'd go to reception and say, listen, if they're not down here in ten minutes, I'm going home.
0: All right, that's fine. So that's answered that bit. So then it's, so it's 29 minutes past nine, right? Yeah. Person comes out and goes, listen, Jonathan, let i may start getting away. Somebody just phoned me and I expected it to be a five-minute call, but it turned into an half-hour call. I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm a bit nervous that we've only got half an hour. Uh, any chance you could stick around or meet at
1: four this afternoon? Oren would say you should say no. <laughs> I'd stay. But- he, w- he would say, he would say, no, I've got meetings for the rest of the day let's rearrange you can come up to me in leeds huh? uh,
0: it's, yeah <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't do that
1: <laughs> and that's that's no that's the floor isn't it are you really gonna do that are, you, are really? you really gonna
0: do that yeah 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 i don't know who the head of amazon is who knows bill blogs sue, sue taylor whatever
1: yeah 250 quid for your train fare 190 quid for your hotel room 35 quid for your dinner the lost time. You know, you and, I, you and I don't answer to one another, but you're going to phone me embarrassed and go, oh, my God. <laughs> and the, the loss is the opportunity cost as well. The whole day, you and know, I both know. Day in London, you just get no work done at all. A whole lost day of work. You might as you might as well have just had the day off work, except you were, you might as well have had the day off work, except you did nothing fun of any sort of Yeah, so whatsoever. you could play golf. <laughs> but, so, but, but, then you've, but then it's four
0: o'clock, right? I, I, I'm going to do the four o'clock appointment. I'm just going to stay. So then let's say, theoretically, you've stayed, right? You know what's coming next, don't you? They're late again. 4.30, you're still sat in reception.
1: But I'll tell you, Pricey, I think if that customer's got you waiting at 4.30, you are never, ever, ever going to sell them anything. they going to make out of it. They've got, no, nah, they've got no respect for you. They don't care... It's it's one human not caring about the other human's dignity. And that is undignified to do that to somebody. So you would be anybody who, I would worry about anybody who didn't say, right, I'm getting the 535 out of King's Cross. Goodbye.
0: I mean, I do agree with you. and And I'm sure I would leave at that point. But so many of the other books would say, Hang in there. You know, hang in there. Stu Heinecker would say, just wait, just wait. Is it worth five minutes of the time?
1: Grab your moment. Grab your moment. And I would say, no, you're never going to sell anything to them. In the same way, Mike, that a candidate that doesn't show up for an interview is a dog that bit you. And I know people are listening and they're going to go, what do you mean it's a dog that bit you? Well, Mike and I have a personal rule. If you don't show up to an interview, you're, you're like a dog that bites. You're no use to us ever again. There's, there's some
0: exceptions, clearly. on. Of
1: course. Yeah, every, yeah, I had one the other day whose, whose, whose girlfriend, they thought his, he thought his girlfriend was going into Labour. Fair enough. But every now and then, and it very, very, very rarely happens to us because candidates trust us and we have good relationships with people. But in your early days in recruitment, when you haven't got the accomplishments, build rapport, understand people, it happens. Once that candidate's just literally not shown up to an interview without explanation, that's it. They are of no use to you ever, ever, ever again, ever in the next 20 years, they will never be of any use to you because you, that is a power base of the relationship that says you can pitch me jobs, little man, and I will not show up if I see fit not to. So
0: somebody called me little man
1: the other day. Never
0: on an email. Yeah. I sent him an email. Wow, it's standard email that most, you know, and, he put, uh, and his response was, jog on, little man.
1: <laughs> Good. Good job he didn't send it to me.
0: I just ignored it. And I, I, I just replied with a big smiley face. Wow. I mean, I'm obviously never going to talk to him,
1: ever. No, but he'll have been a really low-level, bottom-feeding-level candidate nobody says that
0: yeah it would be. It, 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 yeah it, it was it, it was a, a candidate for a certain job yeah yeah you know, not ordinarily my uh bread and butter candidate. i think it's fair to say
1: so I, I just think if somebody made me wait like that no they're of no use to you whatsoever they're of no use to you if they make you wait the first time you're not gonna No, win. i don't agree with that
0: don't agree with that i'm late sometimes to, to, to talk to candidates and stuff because some quiet will phone me up and you know, what was a five-minute conversation ended up as a, you know, an hour length. You just,
1: can't,
0: you just can't do anything about that, I don't, I, you know.
1: some of the So I, I have to say, Pricey, this is the most enthused we've been about a book for a while from a conversational perspective, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because he's got a completely different paradigm.
1: Yes. And I like that. I think fair enough. Yeah, good. So next week we'll talk about, the we'll, we'll do another third of the book, I think. Yeah. He gets into the nitty gritty of doing real pitches next week, doesn't he?
0: Yes, which is what I wanted to see from the, from the offset. I was a bit disappointed having read ninety four pages and not told me how to uh, <laughs> make the make the stuff appear on the PowerPoint. But I think we're going to get into that album.
1: We? right? and We'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye.